Cassandra Cantrell and her twin brother Rob were born on the 25th of May 1987 and lived in Tacoma, Washington. The pair grew up enjoying all things scary and shared a love for horror films. Cassandra's favourite holiday was Halloween and one year she went as Velma, something her killer would come back to years later. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. Cassandra Cantrell. Cassandra lived with her family and two chihuahuas that she'd often take out in the morning to walk. Sometimes she'd visit Point Defiance Park, also in Tacoma. She also had a YouTube channel that she'd used to do hauls on pretty much anything that interested her. Sometimes it was cheap clothing deals, she loved to share deals with her viewers, other times it was things she'd found for her dogs. She was close to her mum and would spend a lot of time with her, and her best friend Alexandra, who was one of the family. Cassandra and Alexandra had known each other for years, they were extremely close, and the pair would share sleepovers and secrets. They knew all there was to know about each other. On the 25th of August 2020, Cassandra's mum had gone to work as usual, and when she returned home, she was surprised to find that Cassandra wasn't around. She knew she'd had plans to go to the grocery store that day, but hadn't known of any reason why she'd still be out. She and her mum were really close, and it wasn't unusual that she'd call and update her mum on what her plans were for the day if she was going out. She was always sure to call and let her mum know if she wasn't going to be at home or if her plans had changed and she decided to stay out, but this day was different. Even so, her mum Marie tried not to worry. Cassandra was probably just out with friends, in fact, she was probably over at Alexandra's house right now. The next day, August 26th, there was still no sign of Cassandra. What Marie didn't know at this point was that Cassandra had arranged to meet up with Alexandra that morning, but she'd never shown up. Alexandra had texted her asking where she was at, but she got no response. She texted a number of times and eventually tried calling, but Cassandra's phone went straight to voicemail. The next day, on the 27th of August, Marie texted Alexandra checking in that Cassandra had been staying over at hers, but... Alexandra told her that she hadn't seen or heard from her in a couple of days, and she told her about Cassandra missing their pre-arranged meet-up the day before, too. Marie was extremely worried by this point. Her daughter was an adult, but she 100% would have let her mum know what was going on. There was no way she would have just upped and left without telling her where she was going, and she would never have just been a no-show for her best friend. Marie called all of Cassandra's friends but had no luck. No one had seen or heard from her. Marie reported Cassandra as missing and the police came to take a statement. She explained that on the day Cassandra went missing, the only plans she had were to go to the grocery store, but she knew that she must have gone somewhere else because when she got home that day, she noticed that the master bathroom had a number of Cassandra's things in it, clearly showing that she'd gotten dressed and done her makeup in that bathroom. This didn't really ring true for Cassandra having just gone to the grocery store that day. Marie said she'd have just put on sweats and left if that was the only place she was going. Seeing as how she'd done her makeup and made a real effort to get ready, she most likely would have been heading somewhere else. The problem was, her mum didn't know where. Cassandra's family and friends launched a search for her, looking for any kind of clues as to where she might be, but they didn't have any luck. And then, on Friday the 28th of August... Police found Cassandra's car abandoned in an industrial area and, chillingly, the keys were still in the ignition. 
Marie had no idea why Cassandra's car would be there and said she wouldn't have been likely to visit the area for any reason. The detectives who were assigned to the case asked Marie what else they needed to know and that's when she told them that Cassandra was pregnant. In fact, her first ultrasound appointment had been scheduled for the day she went missing. Obviously, in this kind of situation, the police always want to talk to anyone who might have more information, especially those close to the situation, and this included whoever the father of the unborn baby was. The problem was, Marie didn't know. Cassandra had told her that it was someone who she was no longer seeing and that her mum didn't know them, but police weren't so sure. They questioned Cassandra's best friend Alexandra, who told them she knew who the father was. Colin Dudley was Cassandra's ex-boyfriend from 14 years ago. The pair had both starred in a production of the Rocky Horror Show, and whilst working closely together there, they started a relationship. It only lasted about six months, and after that, Colin started dating another member of the group, Rebecca. Colin and Rebecca's relationship progressed quickly, and the two moved in together shortly after. Cassandra and Colin didn't see each other again until 2010 or 2011, when they ran into each other at the local shopping centre. They didn't speak much, but a few years later, when Colin's dad passed away, he wanted some comfort and texted Cassandra. He said he needed a friend, and the pair started messaging each other regularly. Colin was still in a relationship and living with Rebecca, but that didn't stop him from pursuing a more romantic relationship with Cassandra. The pair began seeing each other. Cassandra would go round to Colin's place regularly, and in 2020, she got pregnant and the baby was his. Cassandra told Alexandra about her pregnancy, and she said how excited she was. But she also confided in her best friend that she was worried about how Colin might react. He'd made it clear to both Cassandra and Rebecca that he never wanted children. One time, he'd even told Cassandra that if anyone he dated ended up getting pregnant and the baby was his, he'd threaten to take custody just to spite them. Cassandra told Alexandra that she was going to tell Colin. She was going to have the baby no matter what he said, but she was prepared to raise the child on her own. She had so much support from her family and friends, she didn't need him to be on board with helping her. She told Alexandra she'd make it clear that she didn't expect anything from him. She wouldn't be asking for child support or support of any kind if he decided he didn't want to be involved. Later that day, she called Alexandra and told her that she was surprised, but Colin had responded pretty well to the news. She said he was calm and suggested that they talk face-to-face -face after he'd had a few days to process the news. Obviously, this information meant that officers needed to speak to Colin pretty urgently. They made their way to his house and once inside, they asked him about his relationship with Cassandra and what he told them was utterly ridiculous. He said they hadn't spoken in years. He admitted that they dated back in 2006 and that they'd run into each other in 2010 or 2011 at the shopping centre, but Colin said he hadn't seen Cassandra since then. He told them he didn't know she was pregnant and certainly hadn't seen her other than that one time in 14 years. Detectives told him that Cassandra was pregnant and that she claimed that he was the father. Colin's response was that there was no way he could be the father. Detectives knew this wasn't true from the witness account from Alexandra, but they needed some solid proof and they managed to get a warrant to take his phone. 
Alongside this, they got a trace on Cassandra's phone and they found that it last pinged from a cell tower near to Vashon Island at 11.45am on the morning she disappeared. They thought her phone was likely in the large body of water just off the shoreside. But Marie said if Cassandra had gone there, it wasn't of her own free will. She'd visited Point Defiance Park nearby a number of times with her dogs, but both her chihuahuas had been left at home and there really was no reason she'd go and throw her own phone in the water. And detectives did think that the phone had been thrown. While they were looking for it, they'd done an experiment where they'd thrown rocks from the shoreline and then they'd directed divers to the areas they'd fallen into. The dive team managed to locate Cassandra's phone in less than an hour. Detectives searched her phone records and found a number repeated over and over. It had been dialed into and called from a number of times over the last few months. The number was just that. It didn't have a name attached to it and when detectives asked Marie if she recognised the number, she said she had no idea whose it could have been. They also asked Alexandra and although she had her suspicions, she didn't know Colin's number so she couldn't actually say for sure. It didn't take long for detectives to find who the number belonged to and it was, of course, Colin Dudley. They searched his phone and they found Cassandra's number appeared on it a lot. Suspiciously though, Cassandra's number wasn't saved under her name. It was saved under the pseudonym Velma, which I mentioned at the beginning was a Halloween costume she wore and had obviously told Colin about. Throughout the weeks following Cassandra's disappearance, Officers had been trawling through CCTV footage, doorbell camera footage and dash cam footage from Cassandra's house all the way to where her car had been found. They found that a neighbour's security camera footage had tracked Cassandra's white Mazda leaving the estate at 8.35am and that was the last known sighting of Cassandra. They also got a piece of dash cam footage that captured Cassandra's car parked on the side of the road where it was eventually found. The footage showed a man, all dressed in black, with a black hat on, getting out of Cassandra's car. It was a sunny day, but the man didn't necessarily look out of place. His all-black outfit was a t-shirt and jeans, so although partially disguising, it didn't draw attention to him. What was suspicious about how he was dressed, though, is that he wore medical gloves and his face was partially covered by a mask, but this is in August of 2020, so we're in the height of COVID and masks were everywhere. CCTV footage tracks the man walking to a nearby car park and getting into his car. The number plate was a match for Colin's car. It was clear to detectives that Colin had likely been the last person to see Cassandra alive. He'd lied about having seen her, having had an affair with her, getting her pregnant, and now it seemed he'd also lied about her last moments. Detectives managed to get a warrant for the black box in Colin's car. It showed that on the day after Cassandra went missing, the day after she'd visited Colin at his house, Colin's car had stopped outside a wooded area nearby. The detective sergeant Brent Van Dyke said, quote, I uh, got there first and looked over the hillside, and uh, you could clearly see that there was a, a, a garbage can halfway down the hill. You could see that the garbage can had a, a bag liner and uh, some ropes around it. The investigating team didn't have to go far. 
Detective Sergeant Brent Van Dyke arrived first and looked over the hillside and he immediately saw that rubbish bin halfway down the hill and he said you could see a rubbish bag by the side that had obviously fallen out of it. Inside that rubbish bag, there were human remains which were soon identified to be Cassandra by one of her tattoos. The cause of death was blunt force trauma from multiple blows to her head with multiple major fractures to her skull. Detectives got a warrant to search Colin's house and inside his basement, they found a number of areas that showed blood spatter. It was obvious Colin had attempted to clean the blood, but he'd just not done a very good job at all. Forensic investigators found blood on the walls, the floor, a table and in the sink. The CCTV footage, along with the phone records, gave a timeline of what had happened in Cassandra's final hours. On the morning of the 25th, The day Cassandra went missing, Costco CCTV captured Colin getting gas for his car and then going into the Costco store to get supplies. When detectives asked him what he bought, he told them that it was cleaning items for a spring clean. This included a huge number of heavy-duty rubbish bags and cleaning items. Colin then drove to a parking lot nearby where he's tracked riding his bike home, arriving a little before 9am. Meanwhile, At 8.49am, Cassandra had texted Colin, I'm a bit early, that okay? And he replied, Yep, come on down. Although forensic technicians managed to retrieve this information, Colin had deleted it off his phone physically. There's then two hours where there's no movement in terms of any witnesses seeing Cassandra or Colin, and both their phones stayed in Colin's house, presumably with them. And then, at around 11.40am... Colin's phone was turned off and detectives could see that just moments later, Cassandra's phone moved out of Colin's house and towards the industrial area her car was later found in. After Colin had dumped Cassandra's car, CCTV tracked him moving towards the parking lot where he'd parked his car earlier that morning. He then got back into his car and made the short journey to the body of water, where he threw Cassandra's phone and then he made his way back to his car and drove to his house. Colin had attempted to cover his tracks a bit. He turned his phone off shortly after the murder and even called his network provider to tell them he was having issues with his phone cutting out. He also then texted his girlfriend Rebecca, quote, Hey hun, they're working on the internet today so it and the power are out while they're doing their tests. Don't freak out if the ADT cams are down, that's my doing. Colin was arrested on suspicion of murder but he pleaded not guilty. A $2 million bail was set and his lawyers soon advised him that a trial wouldn't go well for him as the crime was so clearly premeditated. With that, Colin decided to change his plea to guilty and he was sentenced to 26 years in prison but Cassandra's family have been very vocal about the fact they are not happy with this sentence. They said that they wanted a trial where the full story was told and they were upset that someone guilty of murdering a pregnant woman only got 26 years in prison. Cassandra's family want to pass a law in Washington state that would mean that if someone is found guilty of knowingly killing a pregnant woman, that they would automatically get a life sentence. Colin Dudley will only serve a fraction of the life Cassandra could have had if he hadn't taken it from her. And with good behaviour, CBS reported that he could be out as early as 2044. Thank you for listening to this episode of Red Rum. Just to let you know, we are on all the socials, so if you ever want to see photos pertaining to the case, 
you can follow us on Instagram and I often put up photos of the victims and the perpetrators and sometimes any evidence that goes alongside that. So you can follow us on Instagram. We're also on Twitter and Facebook. Bye.